Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include butter prices, my interview with TMS's Anthony Forsberg on loss mitigation, and the slack of the U.S. job market. Today's podcast is brought to you by Simple Nexus, an Encino company and award-winning developer of mobile-first technology for the modern mortgage lender. Nexus Origination is Simple Nexus's award-winning point-of-sale product that enables borrowers and lenders to manage the home ownership journey from anywhere. The solution includes feature sets to enhance real estate agent referral strategies and offers robust mobile origination functionality. Learn more at simplenexus.com. Chatter at conferences recently has revolved around builder business, focusing on how fast they get paid so they can pay their subs, rural programs, knowing how to communicate with your clients, or else top producer success, treating your processor like royalty and filling out the information correctly in the first place, setting boundaries, selling yourself, not rates, and agriculture. In ag news, the amount of butter that the U.S. has in cold storage is down 22% compared to a year ago. And the average price of grade AA butter is up 80% year over year. Seasonal milk production is down, and there were 11,000 fewer milk-producing cows on U.S. farms compared to a year ago. And dairy products that see seasonal surges like cream cheese and eggnog are eating into supplies of milk that would otherwise go into butter. As butter prices rise, people switch to margarine. In a housing market with high prices and mortgage rates, It is presumed that priced-out millennials are largely the target market for build-to-rent single-family homes. Affordability is cited as the main reason millennials have not purchased a home. Lastly, speaking of prices, the September producer price index report is tomorrow and is expected to show a 0.1% month-to-month drop. The consumer price index comes out Thursday and is expected down negative 0.2% month-over-month. Both would be nice, but not enough to dissuade the Fed from another three-quarter percent increase, especially given the tight labor market. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome on to the show TMS's Anthony Forsberg to talk about loss mitigation. Anthony joined TMS in June of 18 and brings 21 years of experience in default servicing. He recently served as the Vice President of Default Administration for a combined nine years at Specialized Loan Servicing, and in his tenure at SLS, Anthony oversaw foreclosure, bankruptcy, loss mitigation, collections, default reporting, property preservation, and valuations. Anthony was named a 2021 Insider Award winner for operational excellence, and his proven success in the default space has been led by a multitude of projects enhancing efficiency by adding process automation workflow systems, and Lean Six Sigma methodologies. I don't think that everybody that listens to this podcast is well-versed in loss mitigation. Can you can you explain for our listeners what it is and kind of the art behind it? Or maybe it's, maybe it's more of a science. <laughs> a little bit of both, um, honestly. So, you know, to kind of put it uh, rudimentary, loss mitigation is simply assisting customers who are struggling to make payments. Those customers can be current, but they know that they're going to become, you know, p- potentially delinquent at some time. Customers who go one payment delinquent, two payments, three, on and on, all the way up through foreclosure. Customers have the ability to speak with their servicers, discuss their financial situation, and work with the, the servicers to evaluate that um, 
their financial situation to see what options are available to bring them current, have payment reduction, um, you know, amongst other types of things of full reinstatements, potentially short sales, potentially doing a deed in lieu if you just can't stay in your home. These are all things that we want to work with our customers to, um, you know, make sure we're putting them in the best situation. I want to talk about the trend on current forbearances because at the start of the pandemic, forbearances was all the rage, if you will, or it was on the forefront of everybody's mind and, and it's kind of tailed off here, but it's still very important when it comes to servicing. So we're actually seeing an uptick in new customers going into forbearances. Can you explain why that's going on? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things to, to know right now is outside of the recent disaster declaration due to Hurricane Ian, um, which will have FEMA forbearance impact, this topic is really more around the COVID stuff. Um, and it's not only interesting to me, but it's really been interesting to a lot of my colleagues who I'm on with these industry forums. Um, I'm also a big data. So I really look at our data. I look at all of the different data points that are being published by, um, you know, a lot of the different uh, entities out there that get to publish the data. Um, and what we're seeing is that these overall forbearance requests are going down, you know, for pandemic reasons. However, the first-time customers entering the program are starting to occur. Um, and that's really starting to go up, right? So it's their first time coming in, never been on a COVID forbearance before, aren't asking for an extension. And what we're kind of seeing by this data is that Ginnie Mae and GSC are both seeing this trend, where the first-time customers entering the program are outweighing any of the people that are already on a forbearance. So what's also kind of interesting is looking at some of this data is that it hasn't been like this since October of 2020. So we've, you know, we're going on to two years now where you've just had the higher number of people on a forbearance asking for an extension, but now we're starting to see just brand new customers coming in. So there's a, there's a lot of theories around this, right? But trying to analyze the why, um, I really think it's kind of customers coming down to just getting more savvy. Right. Um, there's a lot of available resources to them. They read, they talk to their friends. Um, but one of the biggest things that we, we see is that, you know, customers are filling it in their pocketbooks. They have rising rates, cost of living index is going up. So they're trying to figure out a way to kind of get some type of relief wherever you can. And if you have this relief at your fingertips, mortgage payments are big. Right. It's, it's, it's one of the biggest uh, expenses that you have. So you can get some type of relief. You're going to fill that money coming in instantaneously. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to kind of combat that in a way um, by focusing on uh, educating our customers, right? When we're focused on educating customers, we want them to understand their options. We want them to understand the impacts. We want them to understand the long-term impacts. Um, we try and do this by making all this information available through our websites, online banners, FAQs, some of the blogs that we do. Um, we update our customer notifications that go through our portals. We've created videos and all that type of stuff. Um, we wanted to create all this so that customers understand what a forbearance is, but in a method on which they can actually understand it. Sometimes it's so easy for us on our side to talk about the lingo and you know it, it makes sense to us. But when you're talking to a customer, they don't truly understand it. So we want to make sure it's in a way that they can understand what's going on. So ultimately, what we want to do is we want our customers to know that forbearances are out there, but that they those forbearances also have a massive amount of time that you can get get on. So we want to educate them and make sure that they're using it at the right time, because long term, let's say you have an, an, you know some type of impacted event a year from now, you may not have that full time that you thought you 
could because you've already used it, right? So we just want to make sure that they're using it at the right time and using it when uh, times truly are tough and not to eliminate that opportunity in the future. Another current trend going on is rising rates. And and no, I mean, maybe servicers are happy about that, but but <laughs> borrowers certainly are not and, and originators aren't really either when it comes to their volumes. With these rising rates, what's the impact when it comes to customers getting long-term help with loss mitigation? Yeah, like like you mentioned, right? We know that the uh, origination world has a huge game changer with these quick rising rates, um, but it does impact us in loss mitigation as well. And this specific topic, I kind of want to focus my conversation on the FHA, VA, USDA, and GSE-backed loans, because privately held loans have such a different waterfall aspect to them that there's a lot more flexibility. So when we look at these types of loans specifically, um, it, th- there's more of a standard waterfall that has an impact. Um, when we look at these, you know, there's a lot to look at. And one of the biggest things we can look at is each subservicer's book. And I think it really comes down to the age and seasoning of those books. Uh, we also look at customers who are coming off of forbearance and going into some of those streamlined options that are available versus customers that are asking for standard loss mitigation. And we're actually starting to see those scales tip overall. Uh, like we mentioned earlier on, forbearances in general are lower. Um, so we're starting to see more customers actually come in for standard loss mitigation, which where you need to complete, you know, get a full financial picture. So for the standard loss mitigation customers, um, it seems like these seasoned portfolios are seeing more relief than the newer books of business. Generally, when we look at the loans originated since 2010, you're going to get in that, you know, anywhere from two to 5% uh, range for interest. While if you look at the preceding 10 years, uh, for those customers who didn't uh, refinance, you're going to see some customers at anywhere from 5 to 9%, knowing that there's always some variables in those figures. Um, so when we look at the opportunity to actually modify some of these older originated loans, they're getting a lot more relief because of the amount of time they've already been in uh, since origination. And they're going to get a lot more uh, availability for the term extensions. And if they already have an interest rate between 5 and 9%, even having some of those higher interest rates today, they're not, they're going to be kind of a minimal impact there, but they're going to get that benefit and that bonus on the term extension component. So these customers are definitely seeing a lot more opportunity when it comes to payment reduction. Kind of on the flip side of that, for the streamline loss mitigation, you're going to get the same type of benefit for those seasoned portfolios, but you're not going to get that benefit when we're looking at some of these newer, these newer originated loans, right? You have lower interest rates, you have not been. Um, paying on these loans very long. So if you've already originated into a you know 360 month term and you're only two, three, four, five years into it, when you re-amortize this thing through loss mitigation for another 360, you're not going to see a lot of that payment reduction. So we are definitely not seeing the, the payment reduction on this side of it. Luckily, what some of the agencies did though, they updated their guidelines. They're allowing some deferred balances, they're allowing some partial claims to come up, which is really assisting the borrowers. It's making them current, but it's not actually uh, allowing them to get a payment reduction. So that is kind of the difference that we're seeing there. But regardless of that payment relief option, our goal is to get customers into some sort of payment relief, right? So that we can get them current, get them the best opportunity to stay in their home. Um, and we're doing this you know, by focusing on getting the customers into the right plan the first time, doing it with clear communication and focusing on quick turn times. Keeping the customers engaged early on is always a better, sure way fit to make sure that we're getting the documentation back, it's correct, and that we're able to close that loop from the end-to-end process on our side. Yeah, let's talk about 
streamline modifications. You know, these recent streamline modifications, are they best for the customer? Kind of can you talk about the long-term success and and what role that plays with the investors? Yeah, there's so there's kind of a few different ways I like to look at this one overall. Um, for customers who were truly impacted by a defaulted event, right? Um, this is a fantastic way to get great terms by simply picking up the phone or filling out a questionnaire online. One of the biggest early on investments I'm very proud that we did at TMS uh, in, in 2020 was we actually enhanced our customer portal to allow customers to go on there, fill out a couple of questions, and it literally walks them through a self-serve loss mitigation waterfall. Um, and it's really easy for them to understand. It really, you know, created some detailed information on what does this product mean, what does the impact to you, um, and it assisted in getting them quick relief, right? Um, especially for some of those customers who are tougher to contact. Uh, what we definitely noticed too is we, we had a pretty high take rate on that um, specific product, as, a, as opposed to even some of the people that we call and walk through. Um, you notice that people sometimes didn't want to pick the phone, didn't want to talk to you. So you have to reach out in a more digital age to allow customers the opportunity to kind of come in, do what they want to do without talking to anybody and feel good about it. Um, so that, that's what happened. And we got those customers relief. Now, one of the things that we kind of seen on the flip side is customers who took advantage of these things for, for good reasons, right? You get lower opportunities. Um, however, they did it based upon kind of a calculated default event. Um, and one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that customers aren't hurting themselves long-term with these calculated defaults. Um, so, you know, for example, we know for partial claims and loss mitigation, there's a finite amount. Um, if it's a streamlined option, you get 25%. If it's a general loss mitigation, you get 30%. If you took these items up front and you are looking down the road and you truly have a different defaulted event, you're not going to, you know, it's very possible that you're not going to be eligible for one of these FHA partial claims. And one of the best things that we're trying to do to combat that, and I've talked about, you know, education before, is really educating our customers, educating about what the forbearance is while they're on forbearance, what those post-forbearance options are while they're coming off forbearance, and you know, letting them know what the impacts of each decision that they're making is, the key elements around that, and what to choose you know, both best for short-term and long-term is for them. From an investor perspective, though, you know, we saw really good benefits. We've seen default rates really be low across the board for everybody. It's a benefit not only to the investors, but it's a benefit to the, to the customers. Um, it also benefits the holder because they can make quick decisions, right? When you get a streamlined modification, you don't have to look through all this paperwork. You don't have to send out missing item letters to the customers, wait for that information to come back, you know, holding on to these defaulted loans longer. So from an investor perspective, you know, the quicker you can do it, the, the better you're, um, you know, you may be sitting on funds and the less overhead you have. However, one of the biggest drawbacks that we saw with some of these streamlined modifications that came out was the impact on the secondary market. Um, we saw that uh, specifically, when you have you know FHA, VA, USDA come out with some of these new programs, they came out with some of the forty-year terms. They came out with you know different components of it that didn't really sync up with the way that Ginny May wanted it. So um, it created selling some of these pools a, a little bit more difficult early on. Luckily, the insurers recognize this and they're already working towards different guidelines to make sure that it fits within that Ginny May process, so that um, we can start to align that uh, better for the investor side. Anthony, great information. Thank you for the time today. I appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, we'll have you back soon. No, I really appreciate your time today. Hope you have a great one. 
Last week's job openings and labor turnover survey briefly gave the markets hope that tight labor market conditions are beginning to ease. The decline of 1.1 million job openings from July to August was the largest monthly decline since early in the pandemic. However, with 10.1 million job openings, there are still significantly more jobs available than workers who are unemployed. Friday's employment situation summary confirmed hirings are slowing, however, not quite as fast as the markets would like. Total employment is now roughly 500,000 above the pre-pandemic peak. A key takeaway from the report was that wage growth did not increase during September and on a year-over-year basis rose 5% versus 5.2% in August. Compared to more interest-rate-sensitive sectors of the economy, the services sector saw the most significant monthly employment gains in September. While there are signs that areas of the economy are cooling, last week's data did nothing to change the market's view that the Fed will remain aggressive in its monetary stance. Fed funds futures are pricing in an 81% likelihood of another 75 base point rate hike at the November 2nd FOMC meeting compared to 56% one week ago. Following yesterday's Columbus Day holiday, the rest of this week is packed with market-moving events including CPI and PPI, central banker appearances, the IMF and World Bank annual meetings, the FOMC minutes from the recent meeting, as well as the mini-refunding which kicks off with $40 billion of three-year notes this afternoon. Kicking off today's economic calendar was NFIB Small Business Optimism for September, which increased 0.3 points to 92.1 this month, the second straight month of gains following a deterioration in the first half of the year. Two Fed speakers are currently scheduled, with Philadelphia's Harker and Cleveland's Mester set to speak on monetary policy and the outlook. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse than eighth to a quarter, and then 10-year yielding 3.92 after closing Friday at 3.88% on the continued belief that the Fed will not stop raising rates for quite some time. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. What's the definition of a diplomat? Someone who tells you to go to hell in a way which makes you eager to start the journey. What's the definition of an economist? An expert who will know tomorrow why that which he predicted yesterday didn't happen today. And what's the definition of a friend? Well, it's the definition of a person of the opposite sex who has that je ne sais quoi, which eliminates any desire to ever try and sleep with them. (laughs) thanks again to today's podcast sponsor simple nexus the homeownership platform that unites the people systems and stages of the mortgage process into one seamless end-to-end solution that spans engagement origination closing and business intelligence to learn more about simple nexus an encino company visit simplenexus.com If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.